Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome. We're so thrilled to have you joining us here week two in our series in Elijah. There is so much to talk about this week that we want to dive right in with the message. You know, last week we saw that Elijah went to visit the evil king Ahab, and he made this declaration in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, we need to understand, if you weren't here last week, some of you, this will be a quick review. This was a direct attack on the god Baal, whom Ahab and the people of the northern tribes of Israel had brought into their lives, and they had started worshiping this false god. It was a direct attack on this Baal, because uh, there are multiple Baals, but this particular one specialized in being a rainmaker. So this was God's way of saying, no, 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 no. I'm the true God, not this Baal, not this figment of your imagination. Well, after that declaration, King Ahab probably thought uh, Elijah was crazy, but after that declaration, God takes Elijah into a season of preparation. It's a preparation for what God knows, Elijah doesn't know, but God knows will be a future epic battle between Elijah and God and, and the 450 false prophets of the Baals. And that season of preparation for Elijah was extremely important, and it's something that you and I really want to grab a hold of. We saw that God wanted to work last week. We saw that God wanted to work in the season of preparation. He wanted to work in Elijah before he would begin to work through Elijah. And that's so important for you and I. We need to remember that God always starts by working in you and I before he works through us. So how did God work in Elijah? Well, God takes him through a season of isolation and even pain in a place called the Kareth Ravine. That word Kareth means to cut off or cut down, and that's exactly what God was doing to Elijah. Why? Because he wanted to teach Elijah something. He wanted to teach him to completely depend on God, that God and God alone would be his provider, his miracle worker, his strength, and his hope. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, it is doubtful that God could ever use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And so God was moving in Elijah and doing a work. And the reality is this, is that God is maybe even doing that or allowing that to happen to many of you. Maybe you've suffered a setback in your job right now, or, or maybe your health is suffering, or maybe for some of you, you feel powerless right now. Some of you, I imagine this week, a school has started back up and you feel powerless as a parent. And, and, and having become, you know, the tutor for your child or children, just want you to let you know, man, our hearts go out to you. We are thinking about you. We are praying for you. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent, we know this is a difficult season, and you are str probably struggling already just after a week into this, and so just know we're praying for you. There's some of you who feel powerless in your, in your marriage, or you feel powerless in a, in a relationship or a friendship. And when you feel powerless, keep in mind that God will use your hurt, God will use any helplessness you feel, any powerlessness you feel that you're going through, he'll use it. 
He'll use it to teach you to depend on him so that you can be strong in the Lord and not in yourself. Because when we're strong in the Lord, that is when the power of God can really begin to flow through us. After Elijah's Kareth Ravine experience and season, God tells Elijah, gives him the command, I want you to go to Sidon. Sidon, or to Zarephath in Sidon, which is Jezebel's hometown. Now, some of you might recall, Jezebel is the evil king Ahab's foreign wife who brought in these foreign gods into Israel. And it was smack dab in the heart of enemy territory. And God told them, Elijah, there a widow is going to provide for you. So with unconditional obedience, Elijah makes this brutal 100-plus mile trip through the drought, now drought-stricken region uh, into the region of, of Sidon where Zarephath is, and he finds the widow that God is talking about. And there, this widow is preparing a meal, and, and she's using the last little bit of flour she has, the last little bit of oil she has, and she tells Elijah, I'm doing this, I'm preparing this, and then I'm ready to die. That's how awful the famine was. That's how awful the drought was. And, and that they were in a situation where they were literally at their last meal. Well, Elijah told her that, that Yahweh God, the true God, would not allow her flour or oil to run out or run dry, that it would last. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 15. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So God is now working through Elijah. But remember, he's still working in Elijah. God is still preparing Elijah for this future showdown with this false god's Baal. And keep in mind as that's happening, Elijah has no idea that as he's going through the season and God is working in him, he has no idea that future battle is coming. It's something we need to think about. That whatever's going on in our life right now that God's doing in us, we don't realize that he's doing something in us to prepare to work through us. We just don't know what that is yet. And so like Elijah, we're called to totally depend on God, to trust him, to be dependent upon him, to, be, uh, to give our unconditional uh, uh, you know, obedience to God. And that's what Elijah does. Now part of preparing Elijah, God working in him, that we want to discuss today is that God wants to show Elijah what separates the true God, Yahweh God, from all the false gods. And he wants, again, he's working in him. He's trying to get him ready for this future battle. So first, God wants to show Elijah that the true God is a God to the outsider. The true God is a God to the outsider. See, of all the places that Elijah could go, of all the places that God could send Elijah to go do a miracle, to provide for another, to provide in the drought and in the famine, God chose to send him to a pagan, widowed woman in an enemy city. Does anybody here know Jesus' first sermon that he gave in Luke chapter four, what he talked about in that sermon? If you know, you can even type it in the chat right there. Well, I'll tell you, let's just turn there. Luke chapter 4, you can go on your phones or, or look in the notes there or a physical Bible, Luke chapter 4. And in verse 25, this is Jesus' first sermon he ever preached. And in that sermon, he talked about this. He says this. 
He says, I assure you, this is Jesus talking, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. So there you get an idea of how bad the famine was. Verse 26, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, the Israelites, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. You see, Jesus is sharing his heart, the heart of God with the people. This is Jesus' first sermon, and he's letting people know that God is a God to the outsider. You know, I can remember uh, giving my first sermon, preaching my sermon, first sermon at my home church, Community Christian Church in San Juan Capistrano. And I can remember after preaching that sermon, I was a teenager, and after I preached that sermon, you know, pretty much everybody, they came up to me and they thanked me and they, they praised me and they were so excited about what God was doing in me. And, 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 and you know, in many respects, they, they, were, they felt like they were a part of my life and me going into ministry and, and they were a part of my life, a huge part of my life and, and part of who I am today because of that church uh, that God did so much through them in my life. It felt great, really it did, to get the appreciation, the affirmation, and the support. Well, after Jesus preached his first sermon back in his hometown church, the people came up to Jesus as well. And so Jesus is waiting for their praise. I mean, he's preached an amazing sermon. He's used scripture. He has talked about God's heart for the nations, God's love. It was an incredible sermon. But instead of praising him and affirming him, as a result of Jesus talking about Elijah and the widow and how God is a God to the outsider, listen to this verse. Luke chapter four, verse 28. It says this, this is after Jesus preached that first sermon. All the people in the synagogue were what? What were they? Were they excited? Were they affirming? No, no, no. They were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to what? What does it say? Say that. What is it? To throw him off the cliff. Hey, Jesus, that's what we think of your sermon. Hey, Jesus, we don't quote that verse around here. We don't talk about that verse. We, we really ignore that verse. See, every other religion focuses on God taking care of and rewarding the insider. But Jesus is making it clear that the true God has, wants us to join him and have a heart for those who aren't yet in the family of God. This woman, she wasn't just a little bit of an outsider. You know, she wasn't just like some God-fearer. She wasn't just somebody who, you know, kind of dabbled in God, no, no. She was an outsider in just about every way possible that you can imagine. She's a Gentile, and that makes her, you know, an ethnic and racial outsider. She's a pagan, and that makes her a religious outsider. She's a woman, that makes her a gender outsider. And she's a widow, which makes her an economic outsider. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter what it is that you have done, there is room in God's family for you. No matter how you feel, you may feel like an outcast. You need to know that you're not. God came for you. Jesus came for you. You may feel worthless. You need to know you're not. Jesus purchased you with his blood because he loves you that much. 
You know, last week we sang the song. There was a, there was a song, there's a line in the song that said this, he is for you, he is for you. Well, it was an incredible song. I, I don't know the name of the song. Some of you, if you know the song I'm talking about, type it right there, right, right into the chat right now, and maybe a bunch of you re-listen to that song this week and let it just worship, minister to you as you worship God. He is for you, he is for you. No matter who you are, the true God is for you. In every other religion, all of them, the God or gods of that religion focuses on and favors and rewards the insiders. But Jesus is reminding you and I that we are called to pursue and to connect with those who are on the outside, not simply to hang with those who are saved. Just like God had a heart for you. God has a heart for those who are not yet part of his family. So, it's gut check time here. I wanna ask you a couple questions, and I just want you to, you know, you and God right now, look inside, be real, be honest, lay your heart before God. First question is, is this, easy question, do you, do you have some type of prayer list? I hope so, I hope you have a prayer list. If you don't, I'd encourage you to, to begin to put one together, but do you have a prayer list? Now, the second part of this question is, if you, assuming you have a prayer list, how many people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior are on that prayer list of yours that you're praying for, ideally praying for daily? How many people? Let me ask it another way. If God answered all the prayers that you prayed this last week, if God answered that prayer, how many outside the family of God would now be in the family of God? Prayer is an important step, and it's a first step to know if our heart is joined with God towards the outsider. But let me keep going here. How many people who are far from God are you actually connected with? I mean, I'm not talking about just casually. I'm talking about you're in a relationship with. I mean, you have their phone number. You've spent time with them regularly. You've had meals with them. You've gone to events and activities with them. I mean, you are genuinely in relationship with. How many people? Just you and God, talk about this for a moment. See, God is so for the outsider. And I don't want you to miss this key word that God said to Elijah in 1 Kings 17, verse 9. He said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and what's the word? I want you to type it in. Everybody right now, everybody type it in. Go to the region of Sidon, and what? What's the word? The word is? It's stay. Type that in, stay. Go to this region and stay there. Not only do I want you to go, I want you to stay. You see, any of us can have a casual connection with somebody and, and, you know, who's far from God and share, you know, your life with them just very casually. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to stay. I want you to settle in. I want you to connect. I want you to develop relationship. I want you to be a part of their lives because you are my representative to them. I'm using you to reach them with my love. God invites you to join them, to be intentional, to make the effort. The true heart of God is to and for the outsider. What about you? What about you? 
Secondly, the true God cannot be contained. This is what Elijah's gonna discover, and, and even this widow. The true God cannot be contained by our understanding of him. The true God cannot be contained by our understanding of him. He will contradict our thinking about him. There will be times and there will be things about God that are confusing to us that we won't even understand. He cannot be contained by our mind or our image, impression, or definition of what we think God is. In 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verse 17, it says this, continue with me, it says, sometime later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill, and he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. This was a way of saying that, that he had passed away, that he died. So the widow doesn't understand why God would allow this to happen. Look at what she said to Elijah in verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? In other words, you tell me that your God is gracious and, compa excuse me, and compassionate. What is this? What is he doing? What is he up to? Elijah had similar questions. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 20, he said this, it says this, that he cried out to God. I mean, Elijah doesn't even understand. He cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand what's going on here. Your heart is for the outsider. Your heart goes to the outsider, and now you've taken one of them away. The true God is a God who, frankly, sometimes just blows our mind. The true God is one who does things and allows things and moves and works in ways that you and I don't understand and we can't explain. He'll give us commandments and instructions that at times our mind cannot comprehend. It doesn't make sense to our finite minds. He has standards and boundaries that don't conform to, to the world that we live in today, and we don't understand it. You see, if God makes total sense to you, chances are really good that that God is actually a projection of your imagination. If God makes sense to you, he, that God is a projection of your imagination because there is so much that we don't understand about God. This week, I wanna encourage you to do something. I encourage you to read Job chapters 38 through 42. It won't take you that long, five chapters. Job 38 through 42. For those of you who don't know the story, let me just tell you real quickly, Job had, had a pretty rough situation. Everything had been taken from him. His life from all you know, outward appearances, it was an absolute mess. And so he began to question God, and he began to ask why, and I don't understand God, and he had friends who were telling him to abandon God. His wife was telling him to curse God and die. I mean, he had no support, and he's struggling, he's wondering, he's asking God all these questions. God, I don't get it. I don't understand you. I don't understand what's going on. Why are you even allowing this to happen in my life? He had all these questions. And then God spends about the next, these, these five chapters that I wanna encourage you to read, he asks Job a bunch of questions. 
They're the, hey, Job, where were you when I type questions, right? Like, hey, Job, where were you when I created this, when I built this, when I created this? And were you around? Were you a part of that? Or, or, or the questions of, hey, Job, do you even know how I did this, how I made this, how I created this, how I did this? He's asking Job all these questions. And, of course, the answer to Job is no. Of course Job doesn't know. What was God's, uh, God's point to Job? His point was this, Job, there's so much that you can't possibly grasp. I'm beyond your ability to fully comprehend. You cannot fully figure me out. And I love these verses at the end where God really puts Job in his place. And in Job chapter 42, verse 3, it says this. It says, you, God, ask the question, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such what? With such ignorance. It is I, Job, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things too far, things too wonderful for me. Verse four, you, God, said, listen, Job, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, Job, and you must answer them. Verse five, I, Job, had only heard about you before now, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. Verse six, here it is. I, referring to Job, I, Job, take back everything I've said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Did you catch what was going on here in this conversation? Job came to realize he was asking questions about things he knew nothing about, He came to realize that it was in ignorance. And he's like, okay, God, I take it back. I take it back. I realize I get it now. You're God. You know what? I just wonder. I wonder if it would do you and I well to every once in a while to pause. And as part of our time of worship of Almighty God, that we would pause and we would just acknowledge before God, God, that I understand I don't know everything. I understand that I am the created and you're the creator. That I can't possibly comprehend all that you do, who you are, and how you work. God, I acknowledge that my understanding of you is limited. See, I wonder if that'd be worth us doing every once in a while to remind ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 says it this way. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. See, he's God, and I'm not. He's God, and you're not. And the best thing that you and I can do is we can stand before Almighty God, we can kneel before Almighty God, we can worship Almighty God in wonder and awe because what we know now is simply partial and incomplete. I got to tell you, there are some real dangers for those who get to a place or live in a space where they think they have God all figured out or pretty well figured out, where they have God fitting in their God box that they've created for him to fit into. One of the dangers of this person is they will come to a place where they will get cynical, 
For example, when, when people suffer, they might end up concluding, hey, God just doesn't care. He isn't loving. He isn't kind. This person might say, what kind of God would let that happen anyway? And this person just ends up getting cynical about God. If you have a God figured out, you will eventually get cynical about him if a person even keeps believing at all. Another danger is that some, if they have God figured out or think they have God figured out, they will rage against God. They'll be angry at God on a level of rage when God doesn't make sense to their understanding of God. How dare you, God? How could you, God? What kind of God are you? I can't trust you, God, if you are going to allow that to happen, if you're going to cause that to happen. And it's not just questions, but it's this rage against God. And still others will turn God into, if they have this God fit into their specific box, they're eventually turning God into a genie. And there's a certain group of people, uh, even in the Christian faith, who, who believe that God will always heal and always bless if they have enough faith. The problem with putting God into this particular box is that eventually something bad will happen. Why? Because Jesus made it clear, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, stuff happens to everybody. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and so there's results of sin all around us that we don't even always recognize. So bad stuff, things, events happen. It just will happen. And when the bad comes, in a crisis of faith for those who have turned God into a cosmic genie, they'll walk away. They'll say something like, but, but God, I did everything right. I mean, I named it, I claimed it, I blabbed it, I grabbed it, you know, I, I, I prayed this way. I thank God in advance for the answer. I paid to get that prayer cloth. You know, God, I did all these right things, and yet, man, God, they still died. I still lost my job. I still got dumped. My spouse still left me. My friendship was betrayed. My retirement account was depleted. My health suffers, and on and on and on it goes. The true God cannot be contained in our understanding of him. He at times will confound us. At times he will confuse us. He will at times contradict our version of him. So the question is, so what does true faith look like in the midst of our questions? Well, like in this story with Elijah and the widow, widow, we come to God. We come to God. We don't turn from God. We turn to God. So Elijah turned to God even with his questions. How did he do it? He did it in humility, in submission and in humility. James chapter four, verse 10 says this to us. It says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So you and I, we can come to God with our unanswered questions. Absolutely. God can handle your questions. He's a big God. But even in the midst of all that, even in the midst of Elijah's questions, Elijah knew God was in charge. And he knew, I'm not going to turn from God, I'm going to turn to God. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 says this about God. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. 
Neither are, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So in humility and in faith, recognizing that God's ways are not our ways, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, Elijah demonstrates his dependence on God. How does he do that? Because he goes to God in prayer. He doesn't turn from God and go on some religious quest to find or create a God who will fit into his imagined paradigm. He doesn't do that. In humility, he prays. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 21, and it's kind of odd what he does, but it says this, he stretched himself out on the boy three times, really three different times. And he cried out to the Lord, essentially three different times. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. You see, those with a true faith, they have that type of humble faith. You sure, I sure, we believe that God cares, that he can and that he wants to heal, that he was good, that he's full of compassion and love. But we're humble enough to trust him, even if he doesn't do what we're asking for. Because we recognize, God, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Some of you might know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in the book of Daniel. And, and the king was set out, had set out to have them killed. And they said this to the king in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, notice what it says, is able to what? is able, type it in, is able to, what's the word? Is able to save us, right? Save us. He will rescue us from your power. Did you see that word? He what? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And here's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Not my favorite, but one of my favorites. But even if he doesn't, they had just said, hey, we prayed to God and God will, is able to save and he will rescue us. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, that's recognizing God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. There's things we can't comprehend and understand about God. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods, your false gods, or worship the golden statue you have set up. Our God will deliver us but if not, we still trust him. We still believe in the one true God. Can you say that? I believe, God, I believe you will deliver me. God, I believe you will answer my prayer. God, I believe you will move, and I will believe you will act. But if not, God, I still trust you, and I know you're still doing something even if I don't understand or can't see it or can't comprehend it. Will you trust God? even when you don't understand? Will you in humility surrender and to submit to God even when you don't know what God is up to? Even when what God is doing doesn't make sense to you? Because that's real faith. That's genuine faith. That's recognizing and understanding that the true God cannot be contained in our understanding of him or what we think he should do or be. Finally, and real quick, the true God has power over death. The true God has power over death. First Kings chapter 17, verse 22, it says, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. 
So God is showing to Elijah and to Israel and to this widow that he has the power to do something that Baal nor any other false god can do, and that's raise people from the dead. This is what separates all the would-be saviors from the true God. Now, don't miss the section. It began with the widow asking the question, is my son dying for my sins? And the answer is, of course, no. There's only two people who can die for your sins. One is you. The problem with you dying for your own sins is because you've sinned, you're not a perfect sacrifice. So God cannot accept that sacrifice. So there's really only one who can die for our sins, and that is Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. See, by Jesus dying for our sins, he takes our place. And like Elijah stretching out his body over this child, Jesus stretched out his body on the cross for us. He conquered death by rising to life again. He's not in the grave. Jesus is alive today. It's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. The true God has power over death. Our God is alive. I think some of you just need right now to type in an amen, right? A couple of you right now, amen, amen. Our God is alive. So I wanna ask you, are you experiencing maybe some kind of death in your life? You need to know like that widow, it's not a sign of God's judgment as she thought. All false religions, right, they assume we've angered the gods. See, it just might be mean what you're going through right now is that God is working the power of the resurrection in you and through you. See, when God brings his power into your life and into my life, into your family, my family, into the world, he doesn't do it through our strength. He does it through our weakness and at times through something that might even seem or feel like death to us. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, because I have the Lord Jesus in my life when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. How does the widow respond? Incredible, look what she says, 1 King 17, 24. Remember, she's an outsider. God sent him to an outsider, Elijah to an outsider. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the what? Type it in, is the truth. In other words, it seems that this outsider has now become an insider. Mission accomplished. The true God is a God who, bring, who, who brings in the, ins, uh, the outsider, has a heart for the outsider, goes to the outsider. The true God, we learn in the story, cannot be contained by our understanding of him. He will sometimes contradict us, uh, what we think about him, and even confuse our understanding of him. And ultimately, because he is the true God, he is the only one who has the power over death, who can conquer death. So in humility, maybe for some of us right now in weakness, will you turn to the Lord now? Like the widow, will you acknowledge right now today that the word of the Lord is true? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, some of us listening to this, watching this, we're weak. We might feel helpless or even hopeless right now. We might feel like even a sense of death has come into our life. And we're hurting 
like this widow. But God, we recognize and understand that you can work in us and do something in us before you do something through us. And so God, we come before you now. God, in our hurt and in our pain, saying, God, we admit, we acknowledge there's things about you we can't comprehend and we can't understand. We ask that you work. We ask that you save. We ask that you heal. We ask that you restore. We ask that you bring reconciliation. We ask, God, that you do miracles. We ask, God, you raise something that's dead back to life in our life. But if you don't, God, we trust you. We trust that you're doing something we don't understand yet. If you don't, God, we still will follow you, love you, serve you, because we know your word is truth. God, that's our heart. That's our commitment. That's our prayer to you. God, our lives are yours. We surrender to you, a holy and awesome God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.